All right, hello everyone. Welcome to a Friday episode of Crypto with English. So, you know, for anybody who's in this space, you know, you often hear the word DAP being thrown around, decentralized applications. And I'd like to introduce a guest today who is uh, actually among the first, I would say, and in fact, actually one of the first major contacts I've ever made in this space, who has a practice in a company that specifically specializes in blockchain decentralized applications. Now, mind you, when uh, I first came across Jesse and his company about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, this was not the industry norm by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, many companies did almost dabble with blockchain decentralized applications, but seldom you came across a company that targeted specifically specialized in blockchain decentralized applications. So I'd like to warmly introduce to you all uh, an old friend, a, uh, a former, uh, I, I wouldn't say former, but uh, a very uh, passionate individual of blockchain, much like myself, Jesse Anglin, the co-founder and CEO of rapidinnovation.io. Jesse, thank you for coming on and it's great seeing you again as well. Dude, it's awesome seeing you again as well. Long time no talk, we should do this more often. Absolutely should. And uh, if you could tell everybody a little bit more about rapidinnovation.io uh, and uh, you know some of the things you were working on this year, because uh, I can I can say this: I've had the pleasure of seeing you guys expand greatly over the past year, doing numerous things. But uh, you know, I don't want to you know take away too much. Um, I'll let you uh, I'll let you uh, talk a little bit more about uh, your practice and some of the things you're up to. Yeah. So uh, so. The idea of rapid innovation kind of came about because I saw that there was basically what you had is you you had a lot of like freelancers that were out doing blockchain work. Um, Web3 development, I think, is what it would be called now, but DAP development or decentralized development or whatever you wanted to call it. And there was no company that was built around this idea of doing decentralized development like everyone kind of had it as an ad hoc add-on to right. to development or they'd go you know hire some freelancers on upwork or you know or or some other freelancing platform and they would add them to their team and then they would say yeah we do blockchain development and i thought you know what, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a company that was built from the ground up that focused a hundred percent on web3 development like all our our entire focus just on building decentralized applications for people and so that was the idea behind rapid innovation in, in the beginning right was was to provide a, a source for that because really there wasn't anyone doing it now when i say no one consensus did some but consensus was super focused on enterprise right they wanted to work with the microsoft's and and you know they they wanted to do more like permissioned enterprise solutions for large companies that wanted to implement blockchain in some way, shape or form, you know, the Boeings and, sure. and Amazons and all, you know, Microsoft's of the world. And if somebody just like woke up one day, had some money and was like, you know what, I think that, I think that decentralized lending is sucks. And I think that if people did things a little bit differently, it would be way better. I want to go build an application that you know improves the user experience of people who want to do decentralized lending. There was no one for them to call. Like they had to figure it out on their own. Right. And uh, and so I saw a need in the market, and uh, and rapid innovation was was built. Now it was a it was kind of a slow start because it's been about three years now. It was five of us in the beginning. I think when I talked to you, 
uh, last yeah, was of... forever ago. Yeah, it was like a year, year and a half ago, maybe. Right. Yeah. About. Um, yeah, I think that I I probably had about forty five, maybe fifty uh, people on the team at that point, and we're now sitting right at around three hundred. And so awesome. we have, I mean, we have grown a lot, mostly because there's a ton of demand and not a lot of people doing what I'm doing. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm just I'm having a blast. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to have the world's what I call the world's smallest monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, and and I remember when we first had our conversation, you were working on you know uh, creating all these uh, various MVP DAP projects for all these startups. So when I first connected with you, I thought that was actually very novel in in, in all the good ways because I think, like you said, I was vaguely familiar with Consensus and some of the little work that they were doing you know, within enterprise, uh, you know, size companies and, and that space and whatnot. But, you know, when I first heard that you were doing this specifically with startups, I was very bullish on what you were doing. I'm like, this is going to be the future. This is definitely going to work. And, you know, and you look at, you know, the trajectory and the, I guess you could say the progress of things, so many startups, so many big things going on. There's something different yep. coming out every single day. So, you know, I think that's absolutely incredible that you had, uh, you know, the foresight and, you know, wisdom and you can say faith in yourself to do that. I was actually going to ask you, when you first launched Rapid uh, rapid Innovation, did you have a lot of detractors, cynics, skeptics say, Jesse, you're nuts. Why, why are you going to do this with this kind of business model? Like, I, I would imagine there yeah. had to have been like a few people who were like, oh, I don't know about this. I mean, it really depended on who I talked to, right? Because what yeah. there there was two camps, right? There was the people that really believed that like decentralized ledger technology, blockchain, smart contracts, like that was the future. Right. Those guys were anyone I talked to that was kind of in, sitting in that arena. They were all super excited because there right. was no one else that was a hundred percent focused on really building blockchain applications, especially for entrepreneurs. Which is, you know, our goal is to like build MVPs, like get your first product out there. Um, so you don't have to go hire a team, figure all this stuff out yourself. You've got someone that knows what they're doing to help you. Right. Um, the people that I would say were my biggest critics were people that that said that, you know, blockchain's never going to replace uh, or never going to be a large enough market segment to replace like the big web two development shops. Like it's just it's not going to happen. Yeah. And what you you're so focused down onto such a tiny little niche that you'll never have enough business to actually grow, which has proven to be absolutely not true. I mean. Right. You know, we've we've we double in size about every every three months uh, and because we, you know, we we've needed to. Um, maybe that's a bit of an over exaggeration, but we've grown a crazy amount. I mean, to go yeah. from to go from, you know, 35 people on the team to 300 people on the team in, in you know, 12 months is a that's a lot of growth and that's a lot of demand because all those people are busy. Um, and so, you know, and. and and as we as we do, uh, there's you know there's a basically get one person who goes and push, puts an application out there that's successful, um, and they go tell their friends that you know Rapid Innovation helped them get it built. Then you get, get you know five more people that knock on the door and, and are interested in, right. in building something. And we try to make it accessible to everybody. Like that's that was the that was the goal in the beginning was to make sure that you know that everyone anyone could go and build an application and it doesn't matter how much experience you have like i've got clients that come in that have been in the blockchain space for as long as i have you know 2000 2011 2010 
And then I've got clients that got into it this bull run, you know, three months ago and they fell in love and they see the, you know, they see the potential, uh, the potential user experience upgrade to the world and, uh, and they want to get into it. They know nothing. And either, either person I can help because all of the systems and infrastructure that are built are built around being able to help those people get an MVP out to the world. And as long as they understand the industry they're in, they don't have to understand the blockchain side of things because we'll educate them and, and help them figure it out. Right. Right. So, and you know, if we were to kind of, yes, yes. Yeah. No, so I, I, yeah, I love it. I get, I get too excited actually when yeah. I talk about it sometimes I have to be careful. <laughs> and if we could kind of uh, go back in time a little bit, um, could you talk and maybe expand upon uh, your programming background as well? Oh, yeah, that's a fun story. So um, so traditionally speaking, I came from the real estate in industry into the blockchain blockchain industry. So I had a client that uh, that back in 2011 uh, asked me if we could go out to coffee and sat me down and said, hey, I want to sell all of my real estate investments. And I want to buy this thing called Bitcoin. I was like, dude, 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 this is a terrible idea. And so I spent the next two, maybe three hours trying to talk him out of it because he was about to sell the world's best investment and buy a scam online that people used for, you know, illicit activity and sure. drugs. And I was like, dude, yeah. this is terrible. Um, I, I didn't convince him. He did sell all of his real estate. Uh, he did buy Bitcoin. And then I eventually went to work for him. Uh, because that's how the world works. When you make a dumb decision and other people make good decisions, you have to go work for those people. So, um, so you know, several years, several years later, right as Ethereum was launching, I went and uh, I, I went and started working for him. Now, the issue was I had had very, very rudimentary development skills prior to that point. Like I had done, I had cheated on a couple of video games, building bots. You know, when when I was in my you know late teens, early twenties. I had. That's pretty you know, cool, actually. Basic... By the way, do you, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, would you mind telling me which video games were those? Um, so it was Dota and like uh, uh, the, that style of game. What was the other one? So it was a couple of Android games that had like oh, yeah. backends that I went and I think one was called like iMobsters and I would actually go in and hack yes. the backend because I found out that there was latency between the different requests and so oh, I could wow. go and like hack the back end and become like a crazy superstar dude it yeah, was it was that game too that's pretty cool <laughs> you played i monsters yeah 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 so i loved i always loved automation and i liked building processes and systems to make things easier and so um my my programming start started there i was never super great at it and so then when when my friend asked me to come on board and help him i asked well like doing what like i'm a real estate guy um, he said, well, I want you to hire, train, and manage Web3 developers or, you know, decentralized blockchain developers. And I was like, dude, yeah. this is a terrible idea. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, man, YouTube. He's like, well, so he said, he told me two things that convinced me to do it. He said, number one, he said, Ethereum hasn't even launched mainnet yet. No one knows what they're doing. He said, there's no one on, Gavin knows what he's doing and, and the guys that work over there, but nobody else does. Right. And so you're not you're not behind the curve. You just know exactly as much as everyone else. So now's the time to do it. And he said, and number two, you can learn anything you want to on YouTube. And so I'll pay you and take three months and learn how to program. And I was like, okay, well, I guess right. if it's that easy, I'm going to go do it. 
Yeah. And so, and so I did, and I became the world's worst programmer probably. Um, but what I did do is I learned enough to be able to identify developers that were extremely good. And I, I could tell whether or not they were writing good code. I could read what they were writing. I could understand, I could help them, you know, create the logic behind stuff if they didn't understand the decentralized nature of what they were writing or, you right. know, or, or how stuff worked. And so I wouldn't say I really became a great developer and I am by far one of the worst developers at rapid innovation today. Um, but I did identify how to hire amazing people, um, which is how I ran across uh, Prasanjit, who's my co-founder, one yeah. of the most brilliant Web3 developers on planet Earth, in my opinion, um, at least in the top you know, 10, top 20. Um, and then basically said, hey, listen, like you're way better at this than me. Let me go do the stuff I'm good at, which is, you know, the business development and the marketing and the sales stuff. And you focus on all the technical stuff and we're going to build an awesome company together. Um, and, and I think that was a good move because he has, he has built an amazing team of developers that back up all of the, everything I say that we can do. And, you know, uh, and, you know, with your background and kind of the, the way this all progressed, what are some of the things you look for when hiring and considering developers for your team? It depends on when I'm looking for them. Like, so back okay. back in the early days, there weren't any Web3 developers. I mean, there was, <clears throat> you figure, you know, on planet Earth, there just, there just weren't very many. Um, and so a lot of what we did in the early days was we would go to different tech colleges around the world and we would find the guys that were in the top 1% that were being recruited by Google and by Facebook, Adobe, you know, the, the big right. enterprise tech companies. And we would intercept their recruitment and say, hey, nice. have you ever thought about blockchain? And a lot of them <clears throat> knew about blockchain, knew that it was going to be a significant, you know, a significant at, be a significant part of the web development world or, you know, the development world in the future, but didn't know how to get into it. And right. so we gave them an opportunity to come on board and said, hey, we'll train you. And so a, a big part early on was just developing a training, uh, like a training protocol, a training mechanism to get people from being, you know, that, are, that were fresh out of school, very, very intelligent, very smart into being really high quality you know, good, fast Web3 developers. And I I've actually found that to be easier because they don't have a lot of centralized experience that clouds the way that they oh, think about right. things. Because when, you, when you're building stuff in the traditional world, there's a, there, you know, there are certain ways that you go about doing it. There's best practices and, and just ways you go about thinking. Like how, how you logically think through problems is very, very different than when you're actually developing smart contracts. And yeah. so when you train someone from the very beginning to really think that way, they're able to intuitively solve problems and, and be creative in ways that Web2 developers, even with a lot of experience, and actually sometimes better than Web2 developers with a lot of experience. And so we, we started that way. Um, nowadays, you can find people who actually have experience, you know, building blockchain applications. We hire those people when we run across them. We still recruit and train and hire people, um, you know, if, if we find, you know, brilliant people that are coming out of school that want to do stuff. Um, and then we also actually take and reform uh, Web2 developers. And so, you know, if someone comes in with a lot of backend node experience, you can pretty easily flip them to solidity as long as you can help them understand that the mindset needs to be 
very, very different when you're thinking about a decentralized architecture versus a centralized architecture. Right. And can you talk a little bit about that uh, mindset as well? And I think you're in a better position to, uh, you know, articulate that. I do um, have some experience uh, programming, coding, uh, smart contracts, Solidity, and the EVM. But this is purely in a like a certification academic sense. Uh, I have no real, you know, you could say tangible professional experience. So um, my first foray is decentralized, but I don't really have any context for centralized. So if you can kind of expand upon the, the mindsets, actually, uh, that'd be perfect. Dude, that's funny because you and I are actually very similar because my first serious attempt in the development world was was learning decentralized architecture, decentralized application. Yeah. I actually started learning Solidity before I really knew JavaScript, which I didn't realize that oh, wow. was backwards. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I actually learned some Solidity first before anything else, actually. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so I, I think you and I, of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you and I probably have a relatively similar experience there. Um, but I mean, when if you think about if you think about just very very simple concepts, right? Like um, if you're building in the Web two world and you've got an application, you need to keep track of users. Um, and so you're going to have a process where users come and they sign up, and they give you their information. You store that information. Um, you know, you create a token for them so that you can keep them logged in on your application or, you know, whatever your architecture happens to be, but it's this mindset that you're going to bring people, you're going to onboard them. When you flip that, just a very simple flip to a decentralized application where you will, you aren't going to know who your users are because all they have to do is log in with their, you know, with their MetaMask, like they log in with their public private key pair and now they're utilizing your application. They may never be back. They may continue to use your application, but there is no, like there is no onboarding. Like everyone who is in the Web3 space who has access to, they can sign a, a public key with their private key is a user, whether they've never been to your site or not, whether they've never used your application or not, right? Like everyone is a user. And so even like those tiny shifts in thinking um are mind-boggling to people um stuff like you know we don't need a password recovery it's like well because i'll get people in they're like yeah i'm going to build this application and they'll build in you know password recovery they're going to build in all this different stuff building accounts you're like no 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 you don't need any of that and they can't wrap their minds around why and it's like because everyone's already logged in all the time and they're like well but they've never even been to our application it's like well, they don't need to come here because um, the first time you come, you log in with MetaMask, you're a user. If you leave right. and never come back, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, and so, so it's just that mindset between, like, how how do you shift someone's brain into into thinking about things in a decentralized way where you're not collecting data from people? It's more that you are providing a window into the blockchain that allows people to interact with different smart contracts. And your job is to make the best UX because anybody else can come and interact with the same smart contracts. They're decentralized. Right. Anybody else can come in and, you know, create a user experience for people, like create another perspective or another window in. Um, and you look at things like it, it becomes really obvious when you see things like swaps, right? You'll have oh, yeah. five or six different swaps that are built and you can go really to any swap and, and use it. Um, and people migrate to the ones that have the best features and the best user experience. And, and so it's more of a user experience game. It's more of a, uh, of a, how you go about 
making sure that when people show up, it's sticky and, and going to keep people there than it is about how you onboard people and how you build, you know, this, this architecture to, you know, trap people on your site. Um, right. And so I, mean, I would say just like simple stuff like that, it's hard for people to wrap their mind around. The other thing is, is if a, if a web two developer is building a backend and they screw something up and they push it to production, then they change it, right? Production goes down right. for a little bit, yes. they go back in, they modify it, they change it. When you've got a guy on the blockchain team that pushes code to production, i.e. deploys it on mainnet, and they have a problem, like you have a problem, like this is a big problem. And so getting people from that mindset that, oh, this will be fine to just push out, like it's probably going to work, to the mindset of, we have to be 110% sure that there is absolutely nothing wrong with this. And right. we have to have thought through all the scenarios. You know, what happens if, if you know, if there's a bajillion people using it? What happens if people, like the, the amount of thought that needs to go into something where you have immutable code that can't be changed once deployed, yes. shifting people into that mindset is number one, dangerous because you get someone in who doesn't really take that seriously. They can lose right. a client a lot of money. Um, and number two, you get somebody in who, who doesn't take that seriously and you end up creating a really, really bad experience for anybody who's actually utilizing that developer to build stuff. That's why web two developers make like terrible web three developers until they kind of get that until it clicks, right? Until they sense. realize yeah. what's going on. Wow. I think you've, uh, you know, I think you've conceptualized that, uh, you know, quite, uh, you know, quite nicely. And I remember, and I think I, fir I first started, you know, learning, you know, through YouTube videos and, you know, certifications. I think uh, one of the baseline almost kind of like principles and rules is that everybody's kind of disconnected, but kind of connected at the same time. So everybody's a node. Everybody's kind of like their own uh, server and, and database, you know, all in one. So, you know, for, as a starting point, I, I guess you could almost say that seemed normal. And, and by the way, this mm -hmm. is just within the scope of my limited experience. But I guess, you know, coming from Web 2, that has to be like a big almost um, – uh, that has to be a big mental jump to kind yep. of recalibrate yourself, you know, into that direction, into that mindset, into that kind of framework, you know, so you know, so to say. Yeah, and some people pick it up really, really fast. Like they just get it. Um, they come almost pre-programmed because their mind really understands it. And some people struggle, which, you know, that's why I love training people. You get them from the very, very beginning and yeah. they grow up with this mindset um it uh i just i love it because they're i mean some of the very best web three developers i have didn't have any experience three years ago when i brought them on board and wow. they're now in my opinion like you know world-class web three developers that that really understand this stuff on a on a on a fundamental level like other people just don't seem to be able to um, love it. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I find uh, what you do and your skill set particularly special because you're a programmer, you're a CEO, you're a co-founder of this company, but you also enjoy the experience and process of training people into this, you know, Web3, uh, you know, blockchain decentralized uh, universe. How do you train people? Like, uh, are, are there some sort of like kind of guiding principles that you use? Because I've seldom come across that, the, you know, the, the, the programmer, CEO that also likes to train and onboard people to learn this. I think that's, it's great. 
I mean, some the some of the secret sauce there is I don't do the training. Uh, I leave it up to people who are more qualified than me. Um, I knew that I wanted training to be a big part of what Rapid Innovation did, and I actually want it to be a bigger part of what we do in the future. Um, you know, we've we've had conversations about actually creating like Web three school for people that really want a like a top notch education in the Web three world. Yeah. And we you know we bring them through, and the whole entire focus is to I mean, more than a certification, like more than a, you now understand how to, how to do, you know, solidity development or rust development on chain, you know, or C plus plus or whatever, but like a, like a actual education where you have a fundamental, when you leave, you have a, you have a very, very in-depth understanding of what it looks like to be a developer and, you know, in the blockchain world and across the board, because there's, there's shifts that have to happen from the perspective of front-end developers. Um, as well, or backend developers that are interacting with blockchain. If you've got like a hybrid model where there's a where there's blockchain and backend and front end, like all of those people need to really, really understand blockchain super well. Um, and so I've just hired amazing people that are really really good at doing at at putting that stuff together. And our training is more like thinking that back in the olden days, you know, when you'd have a blacksmith who was really really good at being a blacksmith. And he'd take right. somebody in under his wing and, yeah, an apprentice and, and and apprentice them. That is more the style of our training as it stands right now because it's That's incredibly excellent. effective. Um, but at some point, I want to set up more of a traditional school that then that then brings people out of that into more of an apprenticeship, um, so that there's not as big of a burden on the senior developers that we have. Yeah. Um, because they don't have to teach the basics. So there's a lot of improvement that we can have as a company there. And we'll see what happens over the next couple of years. But uh, I'd like to be the world's leading blockchain, you know, leading organization that pushes, that creates more blockchain developers than anybody else on planet Earth that are actually high quality, almost yeah. like trade school rather than, you know, traditional education. Yeah. And I really do like that approach. And I will say, um, you know, with, with my experience, it's mostly in, you know, you know, certification and testing. I think what's limited there is that you're really preparing for the test alone, so to say. Because, you know, A, you want to pass it, you know, but also B, just because the way I think the material is fed to you, you know, this is for like, okay, this is what you're going to have to do to, you know, I guess you could say, uh, you know, resolve this problem, you know, scenario or to answer this question, you know, correctly and whatnot. It's, you're, not really, you're not really being oriented or geared to say, okay, You've been, you've been essentially given a project, go figure it out. So yeah. I, I think the apprentice, um, you could say strategy or mindset, I think that's in many ways infinitely, you know, uh, you know, more useful, you know, like, uh, you know, this is your hammer, you know, this is the cauldron, this is the, uh, this is the mold, you know, like, like actually like, you know, pouring the molten, molten metal into it. Like that's actually, I think the type of hands-on experience people really need. So to say, yep. I think. Don't get me wrong, certifications are great, but to actually, let's say, be blacksmithing, you really have to be doing it almost day in, day out, and yeah. really mastering those fundamentals first. Uh, yeah, you know, well, and then the test ends up being whether or not you screw it up or not, right? Right. Like, there is, and, and there's a lot at stake, you know, when if, if right. you are, you know, if you're the guy who's going to be writing a smart contract, it's the first one you're really going to be developing on your own. Right. And you know that this is going to be, you know, pushed live on a mainnet.
steal money and it better function right. exactly like it's a function or someone could get absolutely screwed over. You go and, and push that, right? We have an internal auditing team. I don't let anybody push anything live to mainnet until they've gone through it. So you push that like you're pushing it to mainnet. It goes to the auditing team and they say, hey, you've got this massive problem with the contract that you wrote. If we push this out, you know, right. That, you know, or, or it's even something really simple, like there's no withdraw function. So, you know, congratulations, you've created a one-way money trap where people can send USDC and sure, a token gets minted, but there's, uh, you know, there's there's no way to pull that USDC back out of the contract because you forgot to add a function for it. Right. Then all of a sudden it sets in, right? You failed your test, but it had real world, real world consequences because you were writing right. that for a client. Now, do our clients have to feel that? No, which is great. I don't ever want clients to have to feel that, but the developer gets to feel it um, yeah. when it fails. And I love that as a, because that is what the test really is, right? It's not some exam that some teacher's right. giving you on paper somewhere. Exactly. It means nothing to anybody. The real test is when you get out into the real world, are you going to perform well? You know, right. are you going to make, you going to make garbage that doesn't work? Or right. are you going to build, you know, beautiful, long lasting, bulletproof code that lives on chain forever? and have clients that are happy. And at the end of the day, you've aced it if you can accomplish the second. I don't really care if you can give me the right answers if you can't do right. the second. So Very well I, love the, I, lo I love the model. I think it works well. Yeah, and what's a better test than, you know, you could say, uh, you know, real money on the line, real expectations on the line, and, you know, uh, you could say real world consequences on the line, like the comparison you made of, you know, let's say if somebody pushed something through, it ends up being a one-way money trap. And by the way, I, I like that, I like that term, <laughs> to say the least. But yeah, like there's, um, I mean, I mean, where's the, where's the true reset button on that? You know, you can't kind of yeah. unring the bell in many ways. No. No, and that's what one of the things that's really that's a mindset shift that people have to have when they get into Web3 development is that like once you push it to mainnet and people are using it, there are no re there are no do-overs. Like yeah. and if you've done your job right, let's say you screwed something up and you've got money locked in a contract somewhere, um, or or something went haywire and you can fix it, that meant you screwed up anyways, because it, you shouldn't be able to fix a screw up. It should be immutable. That means you're hacking your own contract. And so if you do it right. Uh, very good points, yeah. If you do it right, you should be screwed if you mess something up. And and uh, this is one of the things that I love about, about uh, Web3 development is that the, the level of excellence that you need in a web3 developer that's working on your application it has yeah. to be just incredible now this is not across all chains right because there are some chains that are not immutable like eos was one of the chains that we right yeah if you want to right? uh, yeah if you can actually Modify expand code. on that a little bit more the yeah. uh, immutable chains versus the ones that are not <laughs> yeah well and there's also like there's there's some stuff that's really interesting like early on uh in the ethereum world we actually built an architecture for smart contracts that actually allowed for the upgrade of smart contracts in an architecture. So it, in a sense, made things mutable. Now you have to be careful with that, right? Because part of the trustless nature of smart contracts is that they are immutable, but you can build certain a certain kind of architecture that actually allows you to, like, let's say, uh, let's say you've got a router contract, right? And that right. router contract is looking for logic in other contracts. And as a um, inside that router contract, you've got a method that allows you to update where it's finding its logic. And it's going to be finding it from another smart contract. 
And so what you can do is you deploy that router contract and then you deploy a series of contracts around it that have logic in them. And basically all of the functions and methods that you need in order to run your application. And if you ever need to upgrade a piece of functionality, you deploy another smart contract and then you go back to that router contract and you point it to that other contract, right? In essence, right. you have upgraded your application. Um, and so there are ways to do architecture even in a, in a completely immutable environment that actually gives you some level of flexibility. Um, yeah. But when you do that, uh, you have to do it in such a way that you aren't also destroying the the trust that comes with an immutable contract because there's a certain yes. amount of trust that comes with a contract that can't be changed. And if you if you build an architecture by hacking the system and create a, an architecture, you know, create a series of smart contracts that can be modified, all of a sudden you lose that. And so you have to be very careful when and when you don't do it how you go about doing it. You know, you can you can have the that router contract governed by a DAO or you know different things along those lines so that it becomes you're basically adding centralization in and then decentralizing it again with another layer um you know where you've got a DAO on top that allows for the modification of something you know there's is it gets really really fun like you can do all kinds of super super interesting uh interesting things and then if you really want to you can go work with you know something like eos where you can just modify your code and right. You've got a history of everything, but if you ever want to go and you know make a modification, you just do it. I I think it's more fun, personally, right. to you know to work on stuff where once you push it, like it is what it is. Hopefully, you didn't screw it up because there's a certain level of adrenaline, right, on that launch date when you go, you know, right. you're ready for that mainnet launch and you push it mainnet, you watch it work, and the community oh, yeah. starts interacting, and it's like it's an adrenaline rush. I mean, it's fun. Yeah, and you know, I like something you said. And I think this was kind of articulated in, let's say, you know, other materials that I had to use. Um, but like, you know, hacking your own smart contract to like kind of mitigate or correct the mistake, it still means you screwed up. And in fact, yes. like in not so many words, that's also kind of how I felt when I had to, I guess you could say, uh, you know, do these training modules where you have to create your own smart contract and stuff like that. I, um, that theme was kind of communicated, not as well as you said it. But there wasn't the sense of like, okay, I'm going to go deploy this, but hope. But if things go wrong, I'm just going to reel it back and try to, uh, you know, toggle around with it. There was this sense of permanence, and, um, yeah. you know, when when you did stuff. And like I said, starting off from kind of that point, you know, in in, in blockchain, I had a hard time imagining otherwise, actually. So yep. I kept like checking and double checking. I'm going to go eat lunch first and then come back to this later and yep. you know, type Yeah, thing. dude, there's that that moment when you push something to mainnet is a fun moment. It's an adrenaline yeah. rush. It's a it's a fun moment. One of the things like I have like I I think of it kind of like concrete that dries instantly when you when you push a little red button, right? So you go get all your yeah. concrete set out where you want it and you're like this is going to work. Like I can build an application on these smart contracts. And then you push a button and it's over. Like it's now hard. Yeah. You don't go in and move stuff around. You don't you don't change it at that point. If you were wrong, you're wrong. And right. if you can modify it in order to make it work, you were still wrong. Yes. Because you shouldn't <laughs> be able to. Right, right. You know, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's I, I think you've explained this very eloquently to, to, to say the very least. And, and I like the breakdown of all this, you know, kind of going back to, you know, rapid innovation and, you know, when you guys started picking up momentum and by the way, um, you know, just as an outsider, I really started seeing 
rapid innovation really making a lot more headlines, probably almost like the middle to late of last year. Um, you know, I just, you know, obviously I, I know you, but like, I just see all these things coming up in my inbox all the time and, you know, various news feeds. I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, Jesse's really on it. All right. So what was the point that you knew like, okay, this business is taking off. This is going to work. Was it like a certain client that you got at that point? Was it a certain project that was launched successfully? Was there some sort of like sign, so to say, I'm like, okay, the, we, the, we are really I, doing something big here. I think, I think really what it was, was when, so I've just had my head down working, right? Like the, yeah. the goal is growth. The goal is quality. The goal is to take care of people. Like I've just had my head down working and this, this February, is the moment that I realized something had happened when I was at uh, ETH Denver um, having nice. a conversation with uh, having a conversation with like some of the guys at Consensus and like some of the bigger players in the space, you know, and they asked me like, what do you do? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I run rapid innovation and uh, you know, we've got, we've got some developers and, you know, we're kind of a, you know, a, a dev shop for hire. They're like, oh, how many, you know, how many people do you have? And I'm like, oh, you know, 300, you know, 250, I think at the time. Yeah. Like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. They're like, there's, there is nobody else in the world that has that many developers that are actually working for other people. And it, it struck me that as far as I could tell, and I think this is still true. I'm sure that there's someone that will prove me wrong if they watch this, which would be great. I'd like to know where I actually sit on the scale. But I don't think there's another company in the world right now that has as many as many developers as i have that are working only on blockchain development like there's a lot of you know i i like to tell people i i believe i'm the largest web3 development company uh in the world that focuses on building web3 applications for other people and i only have 300 people you look at the largest software development company in the world and i am I'm so tiny, you can't even see me on the scale, right? Because there's some that have, you know, 800,000 people that work that are on their payroll, and I've got 300. Yeah, but you're um, fast, proves... efficient, and specialized. I mean, you guys are like, uh, you guys are like uh, King Leonidas and his 300 Spartans, or you know, Achilles and the Myrmidons. You know, like small group, yeah. and they just kick kick everybody else everybody else's asses. Yeah, I mean, I I I hope so. Um, well, and the idea is, I'm just going to keep growing it because there aren't there just aren't a lot of people doing what i'm doing which i i still don't understand why because i felt like I was late to the too, party. like i'm like why isn't why are more people trying to copy you at this point i was actually Seriously. thinking about that i'm like i know why don't you, you, you you're as good as me like we could we should compete against each other i i mean a little healthy competition goes a long right. ways right because at least yeah, it's kind of nice actually that, kind of have like yeah, a rival kind of exactly i can i could tell people that like oh yeah we're way better than english he doesn't know what he's doing he, he sucks <laughs> um you could say the same thing hey, don't tell everybody that little, <laughs> we can have a little healthy banter you know it's just a rumor. but what's interesting is there yeah there just aren't a lot of people that are like it, it seems like there's a lot of people very interested in the small boutique you know where yeah. where you you know they've got their 15 developers and they go build one application at a time you know, and, and for me, like, and maybe this is where this is coming from, because I am, I am incredibly passionate about one thing. Uh, it took me a while to find it, but I'm incredibly passionate about one thing. I want to make an impact on the world using technology. Like I love, I love technology and I love watching things grow. Um, and so 
when I like the reason I decided to go the route of providing a service to this industry um, was because I could help more people grow things, right? If I was just building a product myself, I could do one thing and I maybe I'd make more money. I'm pretty smart. I might come up with something awesome and, and make a lot of money, but then what? Like I have, I have made a tiny little impact and a lot of money. I'd rather make a huge impact because that's what I'm most passionate about. Yeah. And, and so like, for me, I'm just thinking like, why aren't there more, why aren't there more people that want to help more people innovate? Like I would love competition, not even because like, I mean, if somebody would come into the space and do way better than rapid innovation and just like shove us into bankruptcy, I still get what I want because what I want to do, I want to see the space move forward. And that means someone has beat me. Despite the results, like you're changing it. You're orienting people in your direction exactly. in many ways. Yeah. Exactly. And and like we see we see the leveling of the playing field that blockchain brings. We we see uh we see this inefficiency that exists like everywhere that is mind-boggling. I mean, staggering amounts of money wasted on a daily basis due to third-party inefficiency. We see some of that start to decrease. Like we're utilizing this technology to actually make the world a better place to upgrade people's user experience in life like to me i'm i'm just wildly passionate about that and uh and i don't know why there aren't more people doing it i think you should i would love that i I can just imagine it right now you know like uh uh decentralized applications with english it has like a a (laughs) ring to it right and then you just you hire some people you compete with me it'd be great we should do uh, it. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather, you know, uh, you know, partner up with you, you know, to say, oh, okay. to say the very least. But no, but no, no, I, I, don't, I totally understand that because, you know, I think to an extent, I think if you look at the, just the history of technology and companies and, you know, things from the dot-com boom and, and beyond that, a certain level of rivalry makes you better. It makes you more competitive. It makes you hungrier, you know, you know so to say, as, as well. Yeah. Like there is kind of a way, like, you know, with that friction, people kind of just you know, uh, get better, you know, you know, from that, you know, over, over time as well. And, you know, what I'd say to anybody is, uh, you know, with Jesse here talking about making the world a better place and, you know, reaching out and trying to encourage people, he's absolutely true. And actually, actually, I'm going to throw this little anecdote out there. So as I mentioned, Jesse, you were one of the first people I networked in this space. So, um, throughout 2020, I was really just studying, getting certifications, just trying to learn as much as I could no contacts, no connections whatsoever. So I'm literally this guy who came from law, jumped off of that, green as hell, just wanted to learn about blockchain. At the beginning of 2021, I'm like, okay, I have my LinkedIn account. Let me just try to network and just reach out to random people who are you know, doing things that are interesting. So I reached out to a bunch of people. You were one of the few that got back to me. And I think we had a phone call in early February. So some yep. of the things that we were talking about today um, very true, very consistent, and you are literally, uh, you know, living, living by what you say, you know, to say, you know, the very least. And a lot of these things you discussed today, these were also some of the things you mentioned when we were, you know, on the, uh, you know, on the phone call as, as well about changing the world and being specialized and kind of focusing on one thing, um, you know, yep. Web3, blockchain and going forward with that. And I will say, like, since that time in various roles, you know, consulting or being a co-founder and whatnot, I've encountered companies where 
let's say they're, they're from a Web2 universe and they provide all of these services, so to say. I find a situation where a lot of them are trying to go on to Web3 or trying to open up kind of like a practice within a practice of Web3. But um, with some of those parties I've had to like deal with and negotiate with, um, there wasn't as much of a sense of clarity as far as um, the overall, you could say almost the macro look of things and how it's going to play out and also kind of offering services that aren't exactly needed, so to say. And, and I find, and I came across that a lot. So when I spoke with you, essentially creating a practice in a company dedicated to solely Web3, I think that's what people are going to want. This is exactly what I want. Not more, not less. Just surgical, to the point, it is what it is type yep. of thing. And I've got, uh, I, it, sometimes it's a problem and sometimes it helps me a great deal, but I have a obsession with one iron in the fire. Like I, I see these people that are like, Hey, I want to do all of these things. I've got so yeah. many clients that come in that are yeah. like, yeah. So like, I'm like, so what's your, like, what's your UVP? What's, what's your USP? Like, what is the, the thing that makes you unique to where everyone's going to use you? And they're like, Oh, it's these 14 things. I'm like, no, no, no. Like that is not how you are successful. Like people are successful by doing one thing really well and then adding other things Absolutely. to it, right? Amazon, they did one thing very, very well. They sold books. That's all they did. Right. Nothing else. Yeah. They sold books. And they did Everything they sold books kind of online came. better than everyone else. Now Amazon sells things online better than everyone else. And that's because they started by selling books better than everyone else online. And like for me, like I want to provide. I want to provide that first initial push into market. Like I want to get clients to a place efficiently, cost-effective, Yeah. thinking about the future. Um, I want to get people to a place where they actually can go find their pro their product market fit. They can make their modifications. Right. They can, they can adjust with what people want. And that's the one thing I want to do well for people. Will I add other stuff? Yes. But right now, like the, having that singular focus, I think is, is one of the reasons that we've been successful because I've had, dude, I, I look at it like this. Life is like you're driving from, you know, from Seattle to New York, right? You have a goal in mind. I want to get to New York. That's your singular focus. Right. Well, you know, you're going to hop on I-90 and you're going to start heading, heading East. And there's going to be 10,000 billboards telling you that if you get off at this exit, your life will be better than if you make it to New York. So many people do that, <laughs> right? And yeah, they never yeah. get to where they want to go. And I'm the kind of guy who's like, you need to go to the bathroom. Is, like, don't care. Yeah. Like, find an empty bottle. Like, we're going to New York. Like, that is where we're going. And the only time I'm ever going to stop along the way is if I need to refill with gas or I need to do, uh, if I absolutely have to have something, I will right. stop, I will get it, and then I will get back on the way to New York. And I think that that level of focus is what it takes to be an entrepreneur that actually is successful because when people are constantly getting off and going and doing other things like, Oh, maybe this exit will get me what I want. And I don't have to go to New York. They get distracted and somebody else is on their way to New York. And one day yeah. they wake up. Right. And that other company is there in New York and they're like, man, I was going to New York. I had that idea first. It's like, no one cares if you had the idea first. It's whoever gets there first that actually wins well and you don't get there unless you have a singular focus. Um, now, if your focus is pointed in the wrong direction, you can kind of get in trouble, and that's where it right. becomes a little yin yang. But yeah. uh, if you if you believe in what you're doing, and you know where you're going, you can experience a tremendous amount of success. And that is that's not you know that's not me. That's every single successful company that you see anywhere. Right. That's what they did. 
And right. so I'm just trying to follow the great, you know, the greats of the past. I'm not trying to do anything new. And I don't even yeah. tell any of my clients to do something new. It's like, hey, just do what everyone else did to be successful. You'll probably be fine. That is, I'll have to say that is beautifully said. And I really like that analogy of, you know, I-90 and essentially all the stops saying, hey, listen, if you make this detour here, you know, your life will change. It is such an easy trap to fall into. I think as an individual, as in groups, you know, because you think, because I think maybe it's just as humans, we're always looking for answers or we're looking for like the next logical step. And I think the point is, is that I think that's where you kind of start compromising, maybe without knowing it. You think you're going in the right direction, but instead, you know, you're kind of almost working against yourself, you know, over time. Yep. Yeah. You take the shortcuts, you, you know, yeah. like, Hey, if you stop here, you'll get everything you ever wanted in life. And people pull off the road and then they hang out there for six months and realize it's not what they wanted. And they have to get back on the freeway and everyone else is just a little bit closer than you now because you yeah. weren't focused. Now, sometimes you get off the freeway and, and it works. And I think that's why people do it is because there's these, there's these companies that exist, very few of them, but there are companies that exist that have taken yeah. shortcuts and were over overnight successes and everyone wants to be that. Right. But that is the exception to the rule. And Very much it's so. never, <laughs> it's never a good idea to try to be the exception. Now, if, if you find yourself the exception to the rule as you're on your way towards your goals, like be very thankful because not a lot of people get to experience that, but right. it's, you're much more likely to succeed if you, if you know what you want and you, and you are focused on getting it and you don't get distracted. You know, by the way, that is also very well said, too. Um, you know, in many ways, kind of following the same steps and almost the same processes as you could say other, you know, uh, you know, great creator companies or brands prior to, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, whatever you're doing, there is a there is kind of a consistent formula, you know, yeah. to, say, to say the least. And I think this, um, you know, as far as being the, the exception, I think a lot of people do go out there perhaps with the, with the intent to be the exception, but I think almost you need to have some sort of logical feedback as you're in that, in this process. Some, some part has to be showing some sort of, um, you know, some sort of completion, some sort of forward momentum. If you're going to yeah. kind of be going this exception route, because otherwise you might just be driving yourself into the ground uh, unnecessarily. Yep. Yeah. And usually people are chasing money. I mean, one of the things I've realized is that there are two kinds of entrepreneurs almost without exception maybe a third, but, but basically two, I get people who call me up that say, I want to do something in blockchain. When I ask them why they use a lot of words, but they basically say, I think I can make a lot of money. Oh, um, okay. So that's, that's, that's person number one. And then there's the other kind of entrepreneur I work with where when I ask them why they once again, use a lot of words, but they say, I want to change the world. And I think this will make people's lives better. And as a byproduct of doing that, I think I'll make a lot of money. Right. And it's the people that focus on the clients that are that sit in that number two camp that actually do really well. Because the problem with chasing money is that every billboard on the way from Seattle to New York promises if you get off the freeway, you'll make money. And right. so you have a thousand stops on the way to chase this thing that you really want. Whereas if you know what you want, you want to make the world a better place. And, you know, to use the analogy, New York, if you get there, you're making the world a better place. It doesn't matter how many people promise you money along the way because that's not your that's not your goal. It's not your focus. Right. Um, you know that when you get to New York and you make the world a better place, you will make money. And so, people, you know, if and it's 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 like clockwork. It's like it's not a hundred percent, but it's as close to a hundred percent as you can get. People who try to make money in the space and that is their end goal, they fail. 
they just do they, it's too distracting it's it's so hard to do um, but people who are trying to change the world oftentimes now the success rate for entrepreneurs is very low Right. But those people are the ones that win, not all of them, but a lot of them and a lot higher percentage than the people who are trying to make money. Right. Um, and so I always encourage people, like, make sure you understand what you're doing, where you're going and why you're doing it. And the money will come. That is a very good way of putting it. I wanted to ask you about that. So do you think the reason why, let's say, Camp 1 tends to fail way more often and Camp 2, despite maybe being a harder route, tends to, in the long run, succeed more often? Do you think there is more discipline that's required to be in camp two than in camp one? It seems like in camp one, I think if you're just chasing money, there's just maybe, I don't know if there's just way more temptation or just ego, you know, along the way as well. And I think almost in camp two, you kind of have to be an idealist. You kind of almost have to be yeah. a bit more pure in your, in, in your yes. quest. You, know, you to have to there. be passionate, right? In, yeah. Everyone's passionate about making money. There's very few yeah. people on planet earth that if you're like, Hey, I have this way that you can make a lot of money and they believed you, they wouldn't do it. Like yeah. there's just, there's not very many of those people in the world. Right. Um, and I, like, here's a really practical example of what I actually see happen. And this is like, this, this happens a lot. So you've got a company that's building an application and they're getting, they're at that MVP stage where they have their one feature that they think is going to be attractive. Right. And, and they believe that they're going to find their target market fit with this one right. feature that's going to change the world. Their sales guys start and their marketing guys start going out there and they they get a hold of some eccentric billionaire in Brazil. And he says, oh, if you if you I understand what you guys are trying to do, but if you were doing right. this other thing, I would be on board. And so then the sales guy goes back to the guy who's driving right with this billboard that says, hey, this guy who's an eccentric billionaire in Brazil said that if we do this, this other thing that we're not doing, then he would be on board. And so then that guy calls me up and says, hey, we just ran across this guy. This is this awesome opportunity. We want you to change everything that you guys have done in the last three right. months in order to accommodate this one person in Brazil who's going to absolutely change the world for us. What they mean is he's going to pay him a lot of money. And so then we do. And it yeah. doesn't work. Right. The guy in Brazil, he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, maybe not. Like, I'm not that interested in it. And so then right. the sales guys go out there and they do it again. Right. And they find some other guy somewhere else who's. And it, this cycle just continues around and around and around. And before you know it, you've rebuilt the application 37 times. You've spent a million dollars doing it. You have no more money left and nobody cares because you have just gone in circles around and around. Whereas yeah. if you're, if the, if whoever's leading that project looks at that eccentric billionaire and says, well, obviously if you don't know all what we're selling, you're not the guy who you're not, you're not our target market. Like we're going to go see right. if we have a target market and they go and they actually find out if there are people interested in their unique value proposition. And then they find those people and those people come on board and then those people have feature requests and they're yeah. continuing to build towards that end goal instead of just changing the destination, you know, mid route over and over and over again. Yeah. And not to say that you shouldn't like, if you know the story of Twitch, Right. Like they had built a, you know, a streaming platform. And if I remember right, they're like, they have this massive problem, right? Because they, they have this platform that is made for video, for vloggers to go and like vlog about their lives. And there's yeah. all of these pesky gamers that are hacking their system to make I, it work with games, right? Oh, I remember now. And, yeah. 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 And so they're sitting in a boardroom going, how do we, how do we figure out how to get these stupid gamers off the platform like they are breaking it i mean they're they're not using it how it's supposed to be used like this is a this is like a 
you know, pestilence over the system. And then one guy's like, wait a minute, there are only users. And they're like, oh yeah, that's, oh, I mean, that's, that's true. That's right, yeah. Yeah, like, why don't we say, like, since there's a lot of people who want this modification, like, why don't we adjust? Like, and yeah. that I think is an example of, like a wise decision to move a direction that yes. isn't really about money, right? They now somewhere in the back of their minds are going, Hey, if we focus on these people, we'll probably be able to make a lot of money. But what they saw was they saw a group of users that really wanted what they had with a few modifications, then make those modifications. Like that is a course right. correction that everyone needs to make. Um, right. But don't do it for some eccentric billionaire in Brazil who says he's going to make you rich. Like that is right. not the time to shift direction. That's just a billboard promising you something that you'll never get. Yeah, you know, one of the things I pulled from this, uh, you know, I guess being able to distinguish between a course correction and a compromise. And I think Twitch, um, you know, is that reminded me of that story. That's a very good example of that, so to say. This yeah. was something that um, I think was very much needed, but also very much um, met a genuine demand. Um, you know, but I think for the most part, in sync with, I think, the overall goal of Twitch. I mean, listen, I use Twitch as well. You go on Twitch any given day, what's being bombarded to you through your browser? Live streams of various video games and, and computer games and stuff like that. That's almost all you see when you jump on, at least for me anyway. So, and by the way, I'm even thankful enough, I've even gotten a few followers for this show on there. I don't put any gaming stuff on there, but sometimes people on, on Twitch actually do, do view this. So, But yes, it is overwhelmingly a uh, gaming centered uh, type of, you know, media yeah. live streaming well, type platform. The, the thing I think is funny is that the meeting they had set up was to figure out how to get rid of the gamers. That's what I think is funny, right? They're like, yeah. what can we do to get these people off the platform? They're ruining our platform. What they didn't realize is that they were the platform. It just, you know, yeah, they, right. just didn't, they didn't know exactly where, where they were going. So you got to look for stuff like that. But if you are focused on providing value, upgrading the user experience of people's lives, you'll see that. Like, that's why they saw it. Not, maybe not right. everybody, but the people that mattered saw that they could upgrade the user experience of, of these gamers that had no place to go and, and you know, and show people what they did and, and no, no real community. And like, there was, there was no home for them. It's like somebody saw that and their focus wasn't on making money. It was on upgrading the user experience of, of these people's lives. Right. And so right. if you keep that in the forefront of your mind, it, I mean, it just absolutely changes everything. And yeah. those are the people that succeed. All of my clients that have succeeded are people that are trying to make the world a better place in whatever their little domain is. And hey, but, yes, it's and all the people that have failed are people who will show up and try to make money. Not not 100%, but very close. Right. And, and back to the example you made of, let's say, eccentric Brazilian billionaire who wants to essentially just make money and, and I guess otherwise expand his portfolio, his or her portfolio of investments. Being, let's say, in your situation, how does one override the temptation to kind of say no to those opportunities? Because I think even sometimes, you know, let's say even if it's from an eccentric billionaire, they essentially may mask something that's just purely money motivated with almost like a nice veneer of an idea. Like, you know, I, I feel like sometimes even some of those might not even be entirely black and white. Like, how do you kind of center yourself to be like, okay, we should really pass on this. Great in the short run, probably terrible in the long run. Like, how does one, I guess you could say, come to their senses in that scenario? I, I mean, I think it goes back to what you said earlier, discipline, number one. Like, you have to, but you have to be going somewhere. I mean, the, right. 
you know, if, if you've ever, like, the difference between me hopping in a car and driving to New York and me hopping in the car and going for a drive, those are very different, right? If I hop in a car and go for a drive, my goal is to see things that are interesting and stop and, like, explore the world. Right. Um, and so if I see something that is interesting, I will, you know, I'll stop. But if I'm, if I'm going somewhere, like, it, you just need to be going somewhere. What is the, uh, like, you, you can't get derailed. Uh, well, you can get derailed, I guess, but you're not going to get derailed if you are actually going somewhere. Like a train that's right. not moving goes nowhere. Like if you don't have a destination in mind, like you're not going to get there. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't matter how long you walk or how long you run. If you don't know where you're going, like you'll just never arrive. And so right. number one, know where you're going. And then if somebody offers you something, you should seriously consider. So like, let's say eccentric billionaires, like, hey, listen, like you were doing... Uh, you know, you were planning on doing real estate, let's say with your, with your idea. And I actually want to do like carbon sequestering and carbon credits. And I think you yeah. could utilize the technology you've created to do that. Cause that's, a, that would be a very realistic thing. Right. And I've got right. billions of dollars and I'm in this carbon sequestering industry. And I, in, and, and I think that you could use your technology to do that. You seriously need to, you need to realize he is suggesting that instead of going to New York, you're going to Miami. And you need to think to yourself, like, do I want to go to Miami instead of New York? Because if I do, I, that's where I need to go now. Um, right. And if you don't, you need to tell him no. And if you do, right. then you need to change directions. You're no longer going to, to New York. You are now going to Miami. You are no longer right. doing real estate. You are now doing carbon sequestering. Right. And so it's. I think it's as simple as that. Like, just, just know, like, have a destination in mind. Be willing to switch it if it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and and don't be willing to switch it if it doesn't, and then continue to move that direction until you get there. Right, right. Very, uh, you know, wonderfully said. You know, to say uh, the, the very least, and also to be able to, um, you know, recognize that as as well. You know, uh, what a course correction is, what's a compromise, and you know, the comparison of let's say driving from Seattle to New York versus just kind of going for a little like a night ride in your car, and you're just kind of like just driving around to see some you know, interesting things. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, stressing what you said, having a very concrete destination in mind, um, you know, that is probably one of the most important things to do. Because I think maybe it's just because of the excitement of the space and so many things are going on. I think it's good to be open, but I think if you're a little too open, you know, that's a little bit distracting. And you're really just yeah. going to be pulled in other people's directions instead of kind of, you know, you know, controlling the steering wheel yourself so, yeah. so to say. it's discipline discipline and passion right like if you're really yeah. passionate about going somewhere doing accomplishing something there's it's going to take a lot to persuade you to do something else you know right i mean it just it just is like if i if i desperately want to go eat at you know a certain restaurant like that's the only thing i'm feeling like eating and i go call a friend up and he's like hey you want to go here They're like no you know i'd rather go somewhere else like if i if that's the only place i want to eat i'm going to fight him on it Right. Yeah. You know, and sure. and it's going to take a lot of persuading for him to change my mind. And, right. and it's not to say that you shouldn't allow people to persuade you. You shouldn't listen. Like, I think tunnel vision is also very dangerous. That's where dude, that's yeah. why so many entrepreneurs fail. Like I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of entre entrepreneurs over the course of my career in a lot of different capacities, but in a lot of it, building software and they like. Indi I mean, I think the industry says it's like, you know, 10% or 
you know, actually succeed in some capacity. 90% yeah, it's a fail. very low number. Yeah. You know, that's, that's been my experience. I've watched significantly more people fail than, than succeed. And you can, like, I've watched people with tunnel vision fail. They didn't see an opportunity that landed in their lap, like Twitch almost did. I've right. watched people get so distracted they never got to where they were going. I've watched people do every single amount. I've watched people fail to, to get to build what they wanted to build and to change the world or make yeah. money or whatever their end goal was in, in more ways than, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how many detours there are on this road. Uh, yeah. But it always boils down to a couple of very simple, simple principles. Like if they get distracted, they fail. Not always, oftentimes they run out of money. You know, there's a lot of things that'll happen if you get distracted. Um, they right. don't listen to their users, they fail. Right. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Like you, you might not believe that your users know what's best. You might think that like you're building the product for yourself. And so when a thousand people tell you your product sucks, you're like, no, it doesn't. Like I use it every day. It can't suck. It's like, well, right. I mean, you can also be wrong. You know, not have the humility to do stuff. Like there's just, right. there's so many, there's so many different ways for the actual failure to manifest itself, but it's, I mean, it's pretty simple, like a lack of planning, lack of focus, lack of discipline, uh, lack of listening, lack of empathy. Like the, there's, there's a few qualities that an entrepreneur really, really needs in order to be successful that I've noticed. Now I'm not like a, I'm not a coach. I'm not a professional person. I've just watched a lot of people drive their car off the cliff. Right. Uh, and I've watched a few people succeed and they're like the people that succeed there's a pattern there. The people that fail, there's a pattern there. And, right. uh, you know, one day maybe I'll write a book about it because I'll have enough experience watching people drive their cars off the cliff that I can Please let me know. I'll definitely it. buy it. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's good to actually collect and understand these stories, actually. And it's also good. Uh, I mean, listen, it's always good to learn lessons, but if you can kind of learn those lessons outside of yourself through other people's experience, it's a less painful way to go. <laughs> yep. Yes, absolutely. No, it would be awesome. Maybe that'd be a good book, right? Like a collection of short stories of just yeah. like I go back and I write down, change the names, places, ideas, all that stuff. But just write down right. the journey of all these different clients that I've had, you know, like 200 short stories on clients that either succeeded or did not so that you can actually learn from people's failures. Right. Should take a vote. Your audience should let me know if I should write that book. Yeah, Not that I have no idea. See, and here's here's where I have that choice, right? That's a billboard on the road to where I'm going. Do I want to actually get off the road and write a book? Right. I'm probably not going to, at least not right now. Like I need to get right. to New York first. And then once I get to New York, I'll go back and we'll go we'll go try it. And we've gone full circle in all the right ways just there. Yeah, that's a that's also a very good point. I was gonna say too, with everything going on with rapid um, you know, innovation, this is the last question. Um, are, are, are you and your team going to be uh, appearing at any of the uh, major conferences, panels, and, you know, other, I guess you could say, Web3 um, events for the uh, remainder of the year? You know, I, I keep getting invited and keep getting asked. Um, it's an area where I think you see kind of the character, the failures that I have in my focus, because I see that stuff as a distraction sometimes. Sure. Um, it's like, you know, gosh, you know. It takes time to, you know, to to travel and get prepare. there and yeah, and prepare and all that stuff. And then you can't, you know, you can't sound like a fool when you're there. So you probably ought to actually think about what you're talking about. And and then like in all of that time that's being wasted, like I'm not moving the direction that I want to be moving. And so, sure. when really in reality, if I stop and think about it, 
it does help where I'm going, right? Because exposure gets more people in the door, more people in the door, so more success that that this space has, which is what I want. Right. Um, so I will probably do, be doing more of it. I mean, that's why we I started doing you know like podcasts with people and yeah. and talking to them because I think that this gets you know gets rapid innovation a little bit of exposure and and hopefully we can help more entrepreneurs build more stuff and change this industry. So I will, yeah. I will, I will end up doing more of it. My PR person is going to make me at some point. So, uh, stuff. and, and my marketing guy and everyone else on the team that is trying to pressure me into going and going and doing things. So it'll happen. Yeah. Keep, keep me posted on that. Uh, you know, I know, I know you and your team are doing some great things. I, I think it, it speaks for itself. If you look at, uh, if you look at social media, you look at the news, um, rapid innovation, um, you know, you guys are certainly carving out a path and carving out your name um, truly, uh, you know, in this space as well. And, you know, like I said, being one of the first people I met and, you know, you are also generously offering your time to speak to somebody as green as I, when I first started out, you know, I really do, I really do appreciate that. And I wholeheartedly celebrate all the success and the continued success, you know, going forward. So Jesse, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show today. Awesome reconnecting again after like a little over a year and a half. And, you know, it's really good to get into the weeds about all this. Absolutely. And we should do this again. You're absolutely. Uh, I, I do a lot of podcasts. I have to be careful because some of them have been really great. Uh, but I enjoy, I enjoy your style. This is my thing. This is my jam, right? A conversation that starts and just goes somewhere and ends. Yeah. Beautiful. You can't really get better than that. Thank you, Jesse. I really do appreciate that. And yes, listen, when the time is right for you, um, with you know, with what you're doing in your schedule, I'd love to have you come back on and pick up from here and then talk uh talk a lot more about you know rapid rapid innovation and where it's gonna be going next and you know how you guys are really pioneering this space, you know, to say the least. Okay. And who knows, maybe you'll have some rivals that come up, you know, during that time too. Maybe somebody watches this yeah. episode or, or something else, uh, you know, yes. you know, I think a certain level of that competition rivalry, you know, makes people better over time, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Daps with English. I can see it right now. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do that. No, I would definitely want to partner up with you for sure. I really like, what, yeah. I really like, I really like what you're, uh, I really like what you're doing. You could, uh, I, I think, uh, doing this with this kind of business model and especially st staying true to it inevitably you know you're going to be there at the right time when there is true mass adoption you know happening in society because you know you know i'm not in your shoes but i would imagine there's been suggestions or offers like okay well we're doing pure blockchain web3 maybe we should sp expand this to ancillary services that are a little unrelated sure. and i think that may be tempting as far as a short-term, uh, you know, monetary opportunity. But I think like you said, those could easily just become major detours and you might not, you know, get to where you're ultimately, you know, supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about staying on the path. Eventually, if you stay on the path, you will get there. doesn't matter how yeah. long the walk is. And that is, it's one of my, uh, one of my unique skill sets is to be, is being obscenely, single focused <laughs> Got it. to the consternation of a lot of people on the team. Got yeah. it. Yeah. And by the way, if, um, if at some point this year, if you make it to, you know, uh, you know, New York city or, you know, kind of the, the metro area around here, give me a shout. Definitely want to, you know, link up and, uh, you know, show you some of the great eats and, uh, fun things to do around here as well. Did love to do that. Um, I almost was at NFT or NYC NFT or whatever, whatever it is, but I said, oh, yeah. I sent somebody else. 
Uh, if that was the case, we could have done it live. That would have been great. Oh, yeah, in right, right, in, uh, yeah right in Times Square. But, you know, don't worry. There's going to be a lot of other, you know, opportunities as well. And, you know, to be honest, like, I kind of, uh, you know, at various points, rather be in your neck of the woods out there. You're still in a uh, your Coeur d'Alene, right? Yeah, dude, I love it over here. I've never oh, lived anywhere beautiful. else. Most, it's beautiful most out beautiful, there. Most beautiful place in the U.S. Up for debate. If anyone has disagrees with me, you can tell me. But uh, it's amazing over here. Yeah. So, well, anyways, Ben, it was... Yeah, it was yeah. great chat with you. I got to take off. Um, yeah, likewise. Would love to do this again, so just let me know. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Yep. Take, right. take care, Jesse.